accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints, just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're continuing our DS9 coverage up to episode 19 of season 1. It's called Duet, or Emperor Palpatine would pronounce it Duet. Uh, it's directed by James L. Conway. Story goes to Lisa Rich and Jean Kerrigan Fauci. Teleplay goes to our favorite writer, Peter Allen Fields. Aired back on June 13th, 1993. In this episode, after a Cardassian man arrives on the station suffering from an illness that he could only have contracted at a Bajoran labor camp during the occupation... Major Kira leads an investigation to determine whether or not he is actually a notorious war criminal. We're joined by Clay and Zach. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be back. I've been, I haven't been on this this show in a while. Yeah, we took a break. With You haven't done a DS9 since Discovery, like the entirety of Discovery that we were doing. Yeah, that's kind of like, you know, um, breaking your arm and then your arm healing, so then your foot breaks. <laughs> and then we're, uh, we're also joined by Zach. Zach, welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you here. Thank you, for, thank you for having me back. Yeah, yeah you requested duet. Um, yeah. You started yeah. off the season with Emissary, and now you're kind of closing it with the penultimate, our favorite TV writing term, penultimate episode <laughs> of um, Star Trek Season 1 of Deep Space Nine. So I guess that um, we can get right into it. Everyone who's listening to this podcast is probably familiar with duet, so I'm going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to break down everything about this episode. I hope you'll not think it immodest of me to say so, but I was a magnificent leader. Oh, you never saw Galatep at its height. For a labor camp, it was the very model of order and efficiency. And why? For that, you have to look to the top, to me. My word, my every glance was law. And the verdict was always the same, guilty. You're insane. Oh, no, no, Major. <laughs> you can't dismiss me that easily. I did what had to be done. My men understood that, and that's why they loved me. I would order them to go out and kill Bajoran scum. And they'd do it. They'd murder them. And they'd come back covered in blood. But they felt clean. Now, why did they feel that way, Major? Because they were clean. You admit your atrocities. I admit everything. Why not? I was the best at what I did. My accomplishments speak for themselves. Can you say the same? You and that, that little shakar resistance cell that you belong to, all you did was uh, annoy Cardassians while I was out exterminating Bajorans. Make sure you tell that to the tribunal. Oh, I will. And they'll sentence you to death. Let them. Don't you see it doesn't change anything? Kill me, torture me, it doesn't matter. You've already lost, Major. You can never undo what I've accomplished. The dead will still be dead. All right, guys, so there's going to be a little bit of format change to the podcast. I'm going to sprinkle the patron thoughts in. If you guys support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to write uh, little comments about what you think about the upcoming episodes. They get read on the podcast. Normally we sprinkle them in or not sprinkle. We load them at the end of the episode, and it always feels like I'm kind of rushing through them, and we've already talked about all the things. So I'm going to sprinkle them in. Eric McGowan writes, Duet, the first truly amazing episode of DS9. Relatively simple in concept, but brilliant in execution. What more needs to be said? Well, Eric, you walked into our trap where we, uh, we're now going to destroy your entire life view about everything by uh, destroying duets, I suppose. But I don't know. How do you, how do you guys want to start talking about this? Well, everyone here seems to, not here, but everyone, the feedback, Clay, that you've been getting on Twitter is wait for a duet to come along. Right? Uh-huh. You, you've had people tweeting at you just say, you've been, you've been sort of 
losing your mind during move along home and things of, of that <laughs> of that ilk and now you've gotten to mm-hmm. you've gotten to duet people are begging just to wait till you get to duet uh what did you think well um up to this point i've watched a lot of terrible episodes of deep space nine and uh i haven't been here for a while but i have to say that this is by far the worst episode of bad star trek i've seen in a long time I thought this episode was really good, and I think I agree with everybody. This is a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> you, you kind of you kind of te- uh, teased us on Twitter, I think, by uh, you posted a tweet with a GIF, which means that you have serious things that you want to talk about. And, <laughs> Salesmanship. <laughs> and, you, and you've been sort of uh, leading us along. I was actually I spent the well, afternoon. You don't want you don't want people just uh, you don't want me to just be like, oh yeah, you guys are all right. Don't listen to the podcast. I gotta get I gotta make people afraid that but, I might not like this episode. <laughs> I, well, yeah. Since we're a we week have been out. played by a master, we have been played by a master. <laughs> just, just, just keep uh, keep dripping little things about like just minor complaints about duet as we move along because we're a week out from it being released, so we'll tease people that way. But yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't. I'll, I'll I'll kick it over to Zach. Zach, do you want to have any opening thoughts about this? You've obviously written oh. for the AV Club, so do you, do you want to lead us with uh, your opening opinion here? Oh, I mean, it, uh, it, it's a great episode. Um, I watched it today on my phone because you know I'm classy. Um, but it, uh, I think it, I think there are things about it that I would criticize a little bit. But I think as a piece of an hour of dramatic television, I think it's really well paced. It, it's, it's a great character showcase. Um, I still find the ending very moving. Uh, well, not the very end, but we'll get there. Um, and I think it's it is one of the first times on the show that really you start to feel how good this show eventually gets at reckoning with its its history using the sort of bajoran kardashian conflict um how great how steep a character kira is is potentially can be and uh, and just how how kind of all the relationships can work together to make something that's that's while i wouldn't say it's unique in the history of trek like i i think next gen could have pulled something similar to this off um the sense of history that we already have we have built up to this point we already know that the tensions between the bajorans and the kardashians have been a long Builds this sort of revelation. Um, I think the sh- it just sort of it's a it gives you the first real taste of of just how good the show can be. Uh, I think there would be better episodes to come, but this is this was like because I mean honestly, it's better than anything in the first season of Next Gen um, by a lot. Yeah, yeah, me- yeah. Measure of Man is until second season, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that the the way I'll start, I'll sort of start it off by just saying because I've I've been the only one here I think who's recently watched all the season one DS Nine episodes. Um, what's funny about Deep Space Nine is that in its first season, you know, we've been mentioning it, Clay, just how reliant they are on bad TNG scripts that were like apparently holdovers yes. from the first two or three seasons of TNG. They're just like if. Yeah, go if ahead. not li- if not literally, they feel like they are. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, the, yeah, and I, I think in eighty percent of the cases, they are scripts that the production team was just like, you know, this this is not a good script, but we're just out of time. We need to, <laughs> we need to actually do something. Let's and get fifteen more writers to work on it and still come out with shit. What's What's funny is that after the the strength, the relative strength of Emissary, which was pretty good and established a very distinct universe that Deep Space Nine was going to take place in, we don't actually see another Cardassian. Uh, Garrick is in the second episode, and we see him, but we don't see another Cardassian until duets. I don't think like they're they're completely removed from whatever Deep Space Nine is doing at the time, and we're instead doing this weird thing where we go to Bajor about three or four times in the first season of Deep Space Nine, and every single time it feels like you're on a different planet. 
it's like the the culture of Bejor is not really determined. It's not clear what's going on in that planet. There's different pockets of people that believe different things. You never really see any impact of this occupation. We mentioned that in the pilot. Like it doesn't feel like anything was actually going on down there. And duet. Duet's important to me because it is the Deep Space Nine episode that sort of says we can't continue on this horrible TNG path. Like, we need to do something different here. And Peter Allen Fields is the writer of this one. He wrote Inner Light. He wrote Half a Life and everything. He's He writes a couple more for Deep Space Nine. He's a very good writer at these character story things. He's very, he's very good at writing lines of dialogue, and he's very good at getting emotional responses out of characters. And I think he does a, a really fantastic job here that this is the first like in-depth description of what the Cardassian occupation did to Bajor. And, and like, they've never been so blunt about it. I, there's rape and murder mentioned in these things. There's Cardassians beating uh, men to disfigurement so that their families won't recognize them. It's very, it's very dark. Um, a problem might be that uh, Kira, the actress who plays Kira, kind of gets me close to the edge of being like, oh, God damn it, she's going to blow it. But she never really gets to that point. <laughs> um, but outside of that, I... I really love this episode because I'm I'm like a getting blood from a stone. Like my wife's favorite insult is that I'm a robot, and there's very few Star Trek episodes that actually make me <laughs> emotional, and this is one of them. And I think that the show succeeds just because of that in that regard. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. The I was surprised just watching like the fi- the last conversation um, while he while um, oh god uh, the Cardassian who's made by suddenly. Maritza. Maritza, thank you. Yeah, I, wa- I swear to God, I watched it. No, the last conversation between Maritza and Kira when he's still in the brig, and he, she's he's kind of not to jump to the end, but real quick that that whole sequence, I was surprised. I didn't cry, but I was like actually moved. I think I might have cried the first time I watched it because there's something very unexpected about that, and and very moving in a way that you spend the entire episode thinking it's going to go one way. It's like oh, this mystery of what this guy is, and then when you finally find out, it's it's surprisingly emotionally effective it's very well structured and built to that moment i think yeah all of all of those scenes in in the brig i thought were really well done mm-hmm. um and i mean i think I, I think the writing is good but uh, you know harris yulin the guy who plays plays the cardassian is is a great character actor he pops up in stuff all the time and just he just brought a, a a bit of a different kind of like a little bit more nuanced acting style to it, I mean when towards the end he starts you know going off but at the beginning when she's first questioning him he's he's giving out this information about about um about the prison camp and stuff in a very uh kind of nuanced way that you don't really see on a lot of Star Trek and uh I think having him play that character goes a long way to draw you in cuz I mean she I thought she was fine but I mean, the the heavy lifting is definitely done by him, and uh, he really elevates the the stuff that he has to say. Yeah, uh, Mecca Jeff wrote in. He said, "Duet is such a great episode. I'm shocked it's in season one. There's something about the guest star's voice and delivery that I adore. It's a great little story and mystery. It doesn't have any fun character beats, but it's okay for such serious material. I never paid much attention to it until now. But Kira is at best a mediocre actor here. She's totally blown <laughs> out of the water by Maritza. Um, I think so too. I think that." You know, I, I could I could sort of wax on about why I like this episode and why it's it's a, a very good one for a long time. I mean, it doesn't really it doesn't really break into a lot of characters except for Kira and Odo. I think Cisco's kind of there, but he's just kind of the rock that's required to be there, the sort of uh, voice of sanity, I suppose. Well, he gets he gets the one good he gets the one really important character scene when he allows Kira to take over the investigation. 
Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. generally, he has a very short character arc, but it's actually, I think it's a fairly important one. But yeah, no, generally speaking, it is Kira and slightly lesser extent Odo's episode. Well, Zach, you, and we'll get back to Odo because I think he's interesting here. But Zach, you mentioned that you thought it was very well paced. I think that my, I think that my criticism of this episode might actually be the pacing on some level. And that yeah. I feel like it's a, um, I actually feel like it's an episode that ends too quickly. And I think that the, what I would do, this is a very minor complaint. If I were to stretch out the episode, I would sort of move the Maritza in the Brig scenes out towards the start a little bit. They do it very quickly, but I need it a little bit faster, I think. And I would actually, the reveal at the very end is a scene that I think deserves two or three more minutes. I I feel like it goes Mm. by a little bit too quickly. And... I would have this because the scenes between the two of them are so brilliant that every time we sign a step out of it, it feels odd. The worst case being the one where it's in character, but Quark and Odo have that line and Quark sees the survivors of basically the Holocaust. And he says, do they like to gamble? Um, Stuff like that kind of sticks out. And I I would have preferred more of the moving the Brig scenes out a little bit and fleshing that out. And also let me know if you think this is off base. I would have played Maritza to be, Maybe not played. I would have written Maritza to be a little bit more insane or unable to sort of distinguish who he is at a certain point. Um, you guys think that's asking too much, or do you think that the way he's played here and the way that he's written is appropriate? I mean, sorry, you, Zach. Uh, I, well, I think I think um, I, I get what you're saying. I think it, it's one of the limitations of doing a sort of show like this because I feel like it like it is a little unrealistic how he switches over. Um, and maybe a little bit more time. I'm not sure there would have been enough time in an episode like this to have convincingly had him kind of, because you need that moment where you sort of realize exactly how damaged and, and broken he is. And there is, they definitely do that sort of like TV psychology where once you confess whatever it is, you're suddenly fine and everything's okay. Um, <laughs> they cheat. I feel like they cheat a little bit on that. And like that and the, uh, the very end where the random Cardassian dude who just happens to have been introduced uh Bajor- yeah, ago. the Bajoran. Yeah, mean. Bajor- Sorry, Bajoran. It's very important that he's Bajoran. He's also a jerk. Um, just decides to stab um, Maritza, and it's that it's it's a little too neat. Um, and I I kind of am willing to overlook that stuff with a show like this because I feel like the neat like a neatness is such a, a common trope for eighties and nineties television, anyways. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I get what you're saying. Um, for me, that sequence is so powerful that I'm I it kind of overrides the Maritza's confession or realization of of what he, why he did what he did. Because when you think about it, it's such a ludicrous concept. A guy who is so uh, driven so crazy by what he saw that he get used facial reconstruction surgery to make him look like his the, his nightmare. Because And it, it's the fact that they pull it off, I think, is a testament to the actor and the testament to the writing, but it's a very tricky balance. And I, I, I agree that it's a little too neat by the end, um, but I also am not sure if we ever could have got, like, I, I don't know how, maybe if you'd stretch it out over a couple episodes, but that would have been, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I do see what you're saying. Yeah, well, I think that, Clay, I'll kick it back to you just by saying, uh, Zach kind of clarified what I was thinking, which is that on rewatch, I don't know if you you can tell me because you hadn't seen it before, but on rewatch, I was actually surprised by how much of the runtime is taken up by solving the mystery of Maritza. And mm. I, I don't know if I would have preferred to have more time with just between because I really love the duplicity of Maritza faking what he's talking about. And the opening scenes with Maritza are actually better, in my opinion, because 
he comes very close to convincing me that the Cardassians didn't do anything wrong. I know that's ludicrous, but he's yeah. he's very convincing at being like that. There was no war. How can there be war crimes? Like, there's I don't know what you're talking about. And do you do you think that enough time? Do you think that there was too much time spent on the mystery of solving Maritza, and you wanted to get back to it, or do you think it was appropriate when you were watching it? Well, I think there was a little bit too much time spent on. I think I think. I think they have one twist too many. I, you know, the only thing part of the story that I kind of, you know, went, mm, I don't know about that, is the facial reconstruction thing. I don't know what else you do there, but it, it seemed like it was a bit too much. I take it um, as a metaphor. I take it as him literally, you know, it's like he's, sim- yeah. he's symbolically become Goldar heel. Like, the, I, I yeah, look at it I that th- way. I think as they got into it, I was a little bit more on board with it. But, uh, um, yeah, I think... I agree with you about the the the, the earlier scenes being being uh, very effective. I thought that you know because I think they go, they kind of throw you for a loop a little bit because you think it's going to be a uh, traditional sort of um, you know uh, is is this guy really as guilty as he as uh, uh, Kira thinks he is when he was just filing papers? You know that old you know uh, captured guy who worked for the Germans at the at the concentration camp is he as bad as the guy who was pulling the lever that kind of stuff yeah he's the, um, the magneto they, line about following orders right they're, right, they're right. always following orders yeah but then they give you the the uh uh the nice twist there and i think what what's important is um they spend the time to tell you why where a lot of these play these stories where they're uh the crux of the story is is an identity reveal where a lot of them fail and this one i think does it really well <clears throat> is they spend the time to explain to you why his why his identity is important and then they throw the identity into question you know so when you when you actually get the reveal later it's a lot more uh satisfying than if you know in your um star trek into darknesses where he just says he's con and nobody gives a shit like they they put the work in here to 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 get you to care about who this guy is and and why him being a certain person is a big deal um but yeah, the the time they spend kind of on the mystery is yeah, I, I could I could have done with a little bit more. I you know the ending I don't think the ending is too neat because I don't know how I don't know what else you would do. I mean, except have him, you know, leave it open ended. I I have, um, I have a whole. This is one of those episodes. This is one of those pieces of like TV or film where I have redirected the end of this episode <laughs> in my head. It's it, I. I really don't like the episode the or the end of the episode, the, the last scene. I really, I don't want to interrupt, but yeah, go ahead. If you have any thoughts about it, we can get into what I think later. <laughs> no, I thought it was, I thought it was all right. I mean, after, after you get the, the, that final scene where he's kind of breaking down, it's all kind of downhill from there anyway. So it's not really much you can do that would really top that. Um, and, you know, I honestly don't think that they need, they would have needed to play him as a crazier person. Cause I, I don't think. I never got the impression that he was an insane person. Uh, I I got the, the impression more that he was felt so guilty about what was going on that he felt the need to bring some sort of closure and and justice to to these people. I, I and obviously I guess the, the the lengths that which he went are pretty crazy, but I don't I don't think they necessarily would need to play him as like. You know he's out of his mind. I think he's his emotional state was pretty pretty fragile as it was. I thought it was pretty effective. Yes, I, I I'll just clarify by saying that I think that 
maybe crazy is the wrong way, but like if you if you wanted to get a little bit more, I'll get pretentious and say like artistic with it. I would have liked him to have started. He's been he's been working at this for so long that he started to lose track of himself. He has the lines about Marissa is dead, like Marissa died a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And if if he just if he embodied that a little bit, it's really just the runtime is that they only have a couple minutes at that very last scene to get through all this stuff. And I, I feel like I would have. A little bit more of a conversation about Kira and Maritza and like how this has changed them would have been good in that scene because the reason I don't like the very end is because you don't learn anything from that last little button of a scene of what goes on there. Like we've already know that Kira has learned that just because he's a Cardassian doesn't mean he's bad. That's the entire point of their last Brig scene with each other. So to kill him off doesn't make any sense. My redirected ending of this is that after... Uh, Gul Dukat figures out what's been going on. He somehow gets involved and brings in, you know, a whole diplomatic crisis about what's going to go on unless the Cardassians get Maritza back. And it ends with Cardassian guards walking into the brig and Sisko is sort of telling Kira that she has to let go and like they have to give him back to the Cardassians. We know that's bad for him. He's going to be tortured to death by the Cardassians when he's taken back. Mm-hmm. And just it, it needed like a little bit more of a a helplessness in the face of everything because what Maritza does here is eventually, you know, he, he tries his best, but he still ultimately fails and he doesn't really accomplish his goal. And I think that what the episode's pushing at is that even, even in the best of times, good people can't always succeed at things. Like it's very difficult for good people to do good when they're surrounded by bad times, basically. And mm. I think that that would wrap it up a little bit more nicely and it, it would fit into the evil, the, you know, the, the side of the Cardassians that we've seen to this point. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I would, I would say that would that would work pretty well. Um, the other thing I actually did like was uh, um, the stakes. I think that I thought that they they had a pretty good handle on on raising the stakes in this episode in a way that was uh, effective and believable. Like you, you know, you're talking about Cisco um, not having much to do except having that one scene with Kira. But he has that other scene where he's talking to the uh, Cardassian general or whoever that is. Dukat, who, yeah. Yeah, who gives him, yeah, who gives him basically uh, adds more weight to the situation by, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he basically threatens them with some sort of you know violence or whatever. Yeah, well, he's, um, he's going to hold Cisco personally responsible if, if yeah. the Bajorans get to execute Maritza. Right, which is vague, but it's vague enough that you still, you know, don't want to see what that means. And he doesn't need want to see what that means either. And uh, I thought that was a good, a good tack uh, um, to take to add some weight to everything. Cause again, it, it, they do, it's a really simple story, um, but they do a good job of explaining to you uh, uh, why the identity is important, um, throwing that into question and then adding uh, believable, uh, serious stakes to the equation, and they just play it really well. That seems to be the thing that we've I've been taking away from a lot of the shows we've been doing lately, Wes, is that uh, if you if the, the key to success is finding a simple idea and then just doing it the best you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you once you once you get a Zack Snyder syndrome and you just start making things complicated for no particular reason, your your story really just kind of falls apart. Um, Zach, what? yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say it's it's funny. Like I I agree that it's a very it's a it's 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 a very focused. It's like because it's a single story that takes there's no subplots in the episode. Thank goodness. Um, but it's also not. It's interesting that you would say it's simple. 
I think it's because it expresses a clear idea, but it's also yeah. a very complicated situation. And I oh, think that's one. Of, yeah. I think, and I think that's one of the things that that Deep Space Nine would come to excel at is creating these scenarios, like Cisco having this conversation with Galdukat, and the underlying knowledge that we have throughout the episode that the Federation has, if not is not, if not like partnered up with the Cardassians, they at least are on like diplomatic terms with the Cardassians. So it's basically like if it's there's this. Um, they don't want to go it's, to war with the Cardassians. Yeah, so. and mm. it's sort of like this weird situation where I think it works for the show overall, but I think one of the things for this episode, I'm not sure if this is necessarily a, a, a major criticism, but because again, I really love this episode. But um, my ba- my big problem with the very end, in addition to being a little too neat, like oh, okay, it's ironic he got killed by a Bajoran, uh, everything's horrible, is is the both sides ism that seems to be pre- prevalent throughout the episode. Like they keep. Multiple times, characters tell Kira that she has to back down. Multiple times, characters remind her that, you know, this person may be innocent. Where it it's kind of feels like they, 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 they side a little... They, um, they're a little too cautious in actually, like, acknowledging the fact that what the Cardassians did was horrible. And even if this guy was a file clerk, that's, he was still in a position where then... It's not so much that you would blame him for what happened, but um, the fact that she like immediately turns around and goes, you know, you're a good person. We need your help. It it seems that seems a little too nice. Like it seems like they they set it up to a little bit too much. Like, see, you know, the Bajorans can be evil monsters and the Cardassians can be good in a situation where you're literally having us explaining us how the Cardassian occupation like raped and murdered and and had concentration camps effectively. Um, well- and well, I, I wonder. I, oh. Oh, I just all I just wanted to say is that I well I think that actually works for the series overall because you couldn't really have a series where where they were because the Cardassians are an ongoing concern and you have to be you have to like them enough at least to like be interested when we deal with some of the Cardassian stuff later on they they can be an enemy but they can also you're also supposed to have a little bit of sympathy for some of them and I get why as a long, ongoing show they would want to have that level of nuance. Um, and I think it works in this particular story, but I also think it, it sort of speaks to a certain, um, I don't want to say cowardice, but a certain like reluctance on the part of a television show to really pick a side. Um, and I think in this case, it, it kind of, it leads to that, that final ending, which is a little too, I, because the, that Bajoran guy is not a character. He's a, he's a, he's a plot. He's a yeah. plot point. He's a terrible he's a, actor too. He's appalling. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, he's awful. And just and, and as soon as you see him, like, and just and there's nothing about him that's interesting. There's nothing about him that's conflicted. We don't even get uh, if if we're as long as we're doing the if I directed it scene, I would probably th- I would probably if I really wanted that ending, I would have at least try to have a scene where he confronts Kira earlier on or is upset about it, and at least we get a sense of what's driving him as opposed to just oh no, he's a horrible racist. It's and it's like that. It's more complicated than that, and I think for the most part, the show does a, this episode does a really good job of of when it sticks to the the, the Kira and um uh the oh Ms. oh god I forgot his Mar- name again Maritza Maritza <laughs> why do I keep forgetting that it sounds like it's an Italian cheese either um, Gold Goldar heel if you yeah, prefer yeah <laughs> um when it sticks to the Kira and Maritza back and forth um it it works really well but when it tries to like throw in this larger point about how all the Jordans like. It, it doesn't quite work for me. I, you know, I was wondering if them kind of playing it, um, playing the, oh, he might be an innocent um, angle. I mean, for me anyway, having not seen it before and having no understanding of what the situation was, I thought that really worked into what, uh, you know, 
what Wes said earlier about I kind of I, I was kind of I was unsure about whether or not he was actually telling the truth about about what actually happened on the because I don't I don't I had I have no concept of what happened in, uh, of any of the stuff that he was talking about. Um, so I, I, I it's all new. It's all of... new for everybody, Clay. So it's, it's not like that's like a history that we know. Like, and okay. I, I take your point that him talking about it is, you know, we're basically going on Kira's word alone at that point as to what yeah, happened there. And and I thought I, I I felt that the way that they were they were talking about him maybe being innocent kind of amplified that because I mean clearly they're trying to elicit that response out of you is oh maybe maybe this guy isn't you know. Whether or not it's true, I mean, they're trying to elicit that that maybe response out of you, even if you you know don't believe it. And I was I feel like some of that stuff actually works to to heighten that. And whether or not that's the right choice, I don't know. But yeah, I, I think that the you know it's almost it's sort of the difference between execution or not. Like that that's the difference here. Like I, Maritza, no matter what he's done, he's basically committed a, a crime at some point. But the um. I guess that the it's whether or not like the extent of his crime is bad enough to justify execution or just imprisonment. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that the sorry, I got a little lost in thought there. The uh, Skype quit out for a second. I thought I lost you both. <laughs> but I think that the, uh, <laughs> I, I think that what the whole thing about it is just whether or not what kind of punishment he would deserve and if any. And I, I take your point, Zach, that what gets lost in the shuffle eventually is that yeah this guy actually he did some bad stuff like he he's 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 apologized for it and he's condoned uh, it and everything like that but at the same time does he need punishment and i like i i actually i tweeted something earlier today just because of it's kind of tangential to this but you know with all the the Weinstein garbage like this horrible sexual harassment stuff that's going on and so Matt Lauer came out today and apologized you know they all apologized and I sort of I sort of wonder about the philosophical usefulness of apologies on some level. Like I, the I understand apologizing if I go over to your house and I accidentally knock over your TV and I break it. Like I'm like that, that is due for an apology. Mm-hmm. If you if you commit horrible crimes against someone, I don't know who the apology serves. And in a lot of cases, apologies to me almost feel like they only serve the perpetrator in that they're trying to save face and feel better about themselves on some level. Yeah. Mm. And I, I don't accept people that have like tried to harm me. I have a hard time accepting their apology, which is weird that so many people want these, you know, sex people to apologize to them. And I don't feel it does anything. Uh, yeah. And, I think it's more of a, I think it's more of, in that case, I think it's more of a social thing than it is a personal thing. Cause anything they say, no one's going to, it's not ever going to be taken very well. Um, for obvious reasons, there's no way to just issue a statement that will that will condone ten years or more of being horrible to women or people and people in general. It's um, so it's I, just so kind think, of the social like yeah. I think it's I, I definitely get what you're saying because I always I also feel the same thing. I feel the same way, but I feel like it's more like a social acknowledgement of even though this we're not going to forgive this person, but at least the fact that this person has acknowledged that these events happen. They issued this apology means that at least on a social level, we're still all saying this stuff is wrong. So if you do it, you have to make some sort of act. I don't know. It's hard to explain exactly, but I think it's more of a it's not necessarily something where you're going to like go, oh, yeah, that apology was really great. And because there's no it's not there's no way to apologize at that point. You have to 
you have to just go away for a really long time and maybe you can do some stuff but even then you're never going to make up for the horrible shit you did horrible stuff sorry so no uh, that's fine this is it this, yeah. is, a, this is a mature podcast but uh, i think as we talk about star trek um <laughs> i think that the so do you think that Moritz's apology at the end here, does that mean anything? Or would you still want to see him? Pun- if this is like a real case scenario, would you still want to see some sort of punishment for Moritz? I, I don't really think punishment because I feel like he's punished himself enough. My my problem is, isn't so much with, I don't think he would have got, I don't think, when I said that Kira um, is too kind to him at the end, I feel like the it's less about Maritza, who as an audience, I feel a great deal of sympathy for him, especially when like part of the, one of my favorite parts of that scene is where he starts talking about how he's a coward. And as a human being, I am like, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to believe if I was in a situation like that, I would stand up and sacrifice myself to try and do the right thing. But I am fairly sure that there's a good chance that I would not do that. And I would right. be a coward. And I thought that was, I, it's, it's a nuance that, again, the show is really, gets really, really good at doing, is presenting these people, what happens if you're not a hero and you're thrust into these major situations where you have to have some sort of heroic response? What happens if you're just a person who is scared of stuff and doesn't want to die? And I, I would not, I, it's not that, it's not so much that I would like Maritza, thinks Maritza deserved to be punished more or that his, his death was just or that, or that he is a horrible character. It was more that, that Kira, it was like a switch and it, and I actually, you guys, I thought in a visitor, she's she could be melodramatic, but I thought she did some good work here. And I especially think that she mostly made that switch work because she switches over to someone who has kind of realized, um, maybe not so much that she feels bad about her judging him, but as as but she feels she almost recognizes something in him that she, that's almost in herself, or she feels like a certain pity for him, and that sort of works. But that sort of sudden, the certain TV show need to like release him and and they're they're friendly now it just felt a little too too neat because again it's like it, we, i don't think we let the file clerks go from our switch no um i i you you there's it the the, the part of the dang, part of the trick of the show it's really hard to do an ongoing tv series when one of your major races uh committed tried to commit genocide and they they kind of try and dance around it with with like it, it, in this episode, even in this episode, they dance around it a little bit, and I feel like it's one of the ongoing tensions: is how can we really, how can you really forgive any Cardassian in this situation? But then you have to keep working with them anyway. I, I yeah, so it's not a question of punishment, and I, I definitely find Maritza deeply sympathetic by the end. But I also don't know is necessarily we need to have a scene where Kira immediately starts trying to make him feel better and and puff him up. It seems more like a situation where she would acknowledge what he did to himself. And and just sort of they would both sort of move on and I and I kind of wish that they would find would have found a note to end on it a little bit more ambiguous than give him like a martyr's death. Sure, gotcha. And I yeah, and I th- I think the the change is is probably I don't know maybe they could have done a little bit more subtly, but I think it's more of a she's recognizing in him someone who was also affected by the awful awful things yes. that uh, yes he's a survivor as well. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And maybe do they go too far? in having her be nice to him. Yeah, probably a little bit, but I, overall uh, overall I, I think I understand it. Um but yeah, I, I would agree. I think it, in a in a in an ideal world the end would be a little bit more ambiguous, but you know, unfortunately in episodic television this guy's yeah. never coming back, so you got to kill him. <laughs> unfortunately, you either yeah. kill him, you either kill him or you replace him with Tom Riker. Yes, exactly. And I, I don't know if you know this, Clay, but Gul Dukat is a major antagonist of the rest of the series of this. So it's, Gul Dukat will continually appear going forward. You know, I 
I actually thought he was uh, the little stuff that he had to do. I thought he was good too. Like, oh, he's, uh, he, he's he's an yeah. ex- excellent villain yeah. in this series. Yeah. That yeah. um that one scene uh you know not the Cisco scene but there's a scene later. Odo. Yeah, where Odo kind of lays out to him what's going on and and he is kind of visibly shaken by what's happening as well. Um, I thought that stuff was great. Let's talk about Odo a little bit. Um, one thing, Clay, fresh off the TNG podcast that I, I find interesting about Odo. I like the Odo character. I think he's interesting. We learned a, a little bit about his backstory here where he actually served directly under Gull Dukat when Dukat was in charge of DS9 or Tarek Nor, as it was called back then. Um, so Odo is in this weird position of he was not Bajoran resistance, really. He was working for the Cardassians. And he has this sort of odd morality that's been uh, taken out of him. We had the Loxana Troy episode where we learned a little bit more about he was raised in a Bajoran laboratory uh, and sort of tried to please people by shape-shifting for them. He was the life of the party, in his words. They would just kind of use him to entertain themselves. And so he's a jaded person at this point. And Odo is interesting to me because he's a security chief, but he's different from Worf, and I think in a better way. He's actually a detective. And Worf, Worf was never a detective. So did you, do either of you want to talk about the, uh, the, the pluses of storytelling of having a character who's actually capable of solving crimes in some sense? <laughs> well, well, I, I think... No, I you go for it. I think, yeah. I think the plus of it is that you can have a, <clears throat> a mystery storyline that feels, feels like the tracking down of the answer is credible. Um, it doesn't whereas, rely on the computer technology that TNG would rely on to solve mysteries. Like Odo, yeah. Odo gets his hands into things to solve stuff. Yeah, and I mean, Worf is not—he's not a smart man. I mean, no. <laughs> you're right. Uh, <laughs> no, he's not. But but I mean, but I guess what I mean by that is he's not. Worf was never the kind of character who was going to put the pieces together, you know. And and even in TNG, they just didn't really do that the way that he does it here where, yeah, he's a lot more hands-on and, and kind of a um, boots on the ground kind of uh, detective work that he's doing as opposed to on TNG where, you know, they would wait until they found a, uh, an an error in one of the log entries or some shit like that, you know? Um, And I think it's, it's, it, it, it makes mystery aspects a little bit more uh, fluid to the story than they than they might be in, in previous incarnations. I also think it's interesting how it, it establishes the roles. Um, having Odo I, I, and the the uh, the it's just so good at how it creates that little bit of history with Gal Dukat too. It gives you that sense of Odo's culpability or that which the show will explore later. Spoiler alert! Um, but it I just. Um, the, the fact that it's Odo who does the investigating, it's not Kira, and it's not Cisco, is really smart because it, it yeah. sets it up so we, every character has these distinct. They have distinct jobs. They are nuanced people, but they have these. We don't have like with TNG. It could kind of. I mean, you know, Jordy was in was engineering, and they, everybody had jobs. But it's sort of like we're just watching them hang out. And they're just going to do stuff. Um, whereas Odo has a very clear skill set in that he's very good at. He's very dogged. He's very determined. Um, and he also, uh, he's very patient. And I like the fact that it was Odo who did it because it makes character sense that Kira would not have dug once she got to a certain point, she would not have kept digging. Yeah. Um, and it makes character sense that, that Odo is just, it just something nags at him. Cause I feel like it's, it's a very nice idea that he would be sort of just want to like, just, all right, I just want to kind of see where this goes out. It's, um, yeah, no, I, I thought that was really cool too. Aubergine, and... Aubergine, sorry, plays every scene 
of reaction to Kira so well too in mm. this too, where she, she the the opening scene where they're in the room and she's uh, Kira's explaining, not explaining, but really sort of yelling at Cisco about what the Cardassians did, and it cuts to Odo, and he just has this. He has this great pained look like it's just that, you know, you can't really get in. You don't want to get into what she's talking about, but you know what happened. He just he plays it really well. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it it combines the A story and the B story in a way that's pretty much seamless, because that's really what it is. Is Odo doing the mystery part is really the B story. And uh, uh, Kira doing the interrogations is really the A story. And I mean, if, if you think about it, I think traditionally you would have Kira do all the work. You know, like, and I think to a certain extent, usually it would be Kara doing the tracking down and doing the talking, or there would probably honestly be less talking and more Kira just tracking shit down while there's some other, you know, bullshit B that's, story happening. That's the that's worst, vaguely... that's the worst version of this story is if they yeah, do like that. Kira, <laughs> Kira's searching down all of this information while uh, an Odo and, storm. and Cisco are trying to let loose a giant jellyfish or some <laughs> right. shit like that. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah I think it, it it adds it adds more weight to everything that's going on and it ties it in really well in a way that from what I've seen in this show they haven't managed to do yet. And I think that um I I, I sort of denigrated Cisco earlier just by saying he doesn't have a lot to do but I think Cisco's role here is really important because it ties into the setup of the series and that we never get a lot of episodes where we we don't get a lot of explicit showing you why the Federation was called in. And this episode does a good job of Cisco is called in because the Bajorans are too fragile at this point, right? Like the Federation is there to sort of enable and and, and guide, I guess, them towards a kind of salvation from what has gone on to them. And, you know, you couldn't have a Bajoran investigation into this. It would just be, it would be horrible, unfair. Cisco's there to present the whole Star Trek ethos of, you know, justice and everything like that. Like, we're going to find the right answer. We're going to do this. But it really works in the setup of this is why the Federation is involved in this station. This is why the Bajorans ask for help, because they need they need to get away from the raw emotion of what happened to them. And a little bit of the boring Federation Star Trek stuff might actually help them in the long run. Which is also why it's so great that he does, I mean, he does give it over to Kira. And I feel like that's a very important part of their relationship. Yeah, especially going forward in his relate because like it's it shows you that probably wouldn't have been the Federation ideal Federation movie, especially because I think that does that happen after his conversation with Gul Dukat? Uh, oh. Does it? It must. It must. Right. Um. Yeah. But regard, he has pressures on him, but he he's willing to trust her. Um. When she like basically says flat out, "You said we were friends. Please let me do this." And I I feel like I've seen. So many other TV shows and movies where the character said, no, you can't. And they keep investigating on the sidelines and we have these constant back and forth. With, but I found this new information. You're too close to the case. Whereas right, here, right. He, just, he just sort of says, yeah, okay, I trust you. Go for it. And, and while she is definitely emotionally invested, she doesn't make any mistakes. Um, no, no, that's no, true. The, the only thing she, you could argue that she does wrong is she doesn't quite dig deep enough. But his plot, like it wasn't at that point, who, who else would have other than Odo? 
Like, there's no real indication that he's lying. It's such a clear, apart from the, you know, Cardassians claiming that the character, the guy's, the guy he's made himself look like is already dead. Zach, I've seen Making of a Murderer on Netflix. I know we need more than a confession at this point. <laughs> we need some hard uh, evidence. True, true. Um, but she doesn't, there's no point, there's no point at which you feel like Kira jumps to a conclusion and like, I mean, she acknowledges the fact that she wants him to be someone important that she can and that's actually another important one of the thing i really love about this episode because it connects her comment about how she wants him to be uh, a goldar heel because or she wants him to be somebody who is responsible she wants because what they want is a feeling of closure a feeling of we made this right again even though we can never bring those people who died back we actually made this we we brought justice into the world and we she wants him to be more than just a file clerk because that would give her some sense of just accomplishing something of doing of taking all this pain and suffering and at least giving it some sort of conclusion and i feel like uh, maritza has that same feeling and i love the way those two connect at the end because for maritza one of the reasons he transforms himself into goldar heel is because he feels like he wants the cardassians to to be punished or for some acknowledgement right. of the horrors that they committed and in his culture it's not happening so basically they're on i, I actually that does act does make make her her sympathy or empathy for him a, a lot more actually i'm arguing myself out of a point earlier but a lot more <laughs> understanding because they're literally coming from a different sides with the same basic point is that they are they just want some sort of reason and that again is another really important deep space nine it, it drives one of the most one of the best episodes of the, of the series later on it, it's one of the 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 idea of how much we want we wish life um could have these conclusions or these like could have clear cut cases that would give us the satisfaction of feeling yeah. like the sacrifices and the things that we've suffered can have meaning. And I, and I really, really like how the episode handles that. Yeah. I think I, th I, oh, sorry. Go I, ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think that sentiment is kind of what they're trying to get at a little bit at the ending when uh, he stabs him mm -hmm. in that, you know, that guy wants, you know, he's, he is being reacting in a, you know, I guess a racist way towards him, but he, he he wants the same thing Kira wants. He wants that guy to be culpable. And, he, want, uh, he wants what they all want. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's yeah, it's a ham-fisted way of doing it, of 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 exploring that point definitely. Um, but I, you know, I think it, it it makes sense in in what in the way that they had to do that stuff. Um, with Cisco, I will say uh, his. I'm still getting used to his acting style, and he in this, at least in the first scene with him uh, addressing the situation. He did have a little bit of that Picard thing where Picard walks into a situation that he clearly doesn't know what's going on. So he's just kind of very stiff and goes, aha, uh -huh. okay. Like he has that kind of thing. <laughs> but I think that's, I think that's just the way that he, he acts the character. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you, uh, Zach, the, the stuff, usually they would have this, you know, crappy manufactured drama between Cisco and Kira about her, you know, going against his wishes and all the kind of stuff. And they really do make the right decision by having them have a scene that works on a character level uh, where they're addressing each other as 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 friends as opposed to uh, superior subordinate. Are they even is, is, is she his subordinate? Is Kira subordinate to Cisco? Yeah, she's the first I, officer, basically. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. OK. Um, and that's, I mean, that stuff works way better than any sort of manufactured drama they could get out. I mean, and that's what's, what's really impressive about this for me is it takes a, you know, a, a cliche detective story plot that you would have in any show 
and just kind of does it in a way that they really put some thought and they put some heart into it. And so it they avoid all of those, well, for the most part, they avoid all of those cliche trappings that just makes you roll your eyes at the manufactured drama. They actually get real drama out of it by playing to the characters instead of playing to the situation. Yes, yes. And th- that's a that's a big step forward for the series. Before we, we go to wrap up, I think that this is a... Um... A super quotable episode. I love Peter Allen Fields. Yeah, some of his Star Trek scripts are some of my favorite episodes. Um, I just thought I'd read a couple. Uh, Ducat says to Odo, ah, the same old Odo, like a blunt instrument. I just like that quote for some reason. What you call genocide, I call a day's work. You mistake me for that bug, that whimpering nothing. Oh, you stupid Bajoran girl. Don't you know who I am? I'm your nemesis. I'm your nightmare. I'm the butcher of Galatep. And then it kind of, a nice line that sums up the... Uh, why Kira can't be blamed for sort of falling into uh, Maritza's early treachery where she doesn't want to dig too deep because she doesn't want to know the truth. She says, if your lies are going to be this transparent, it's going to be a very short investigation. He responds, well, in that case, I'll try to make my lies more opaque, which is a very, was, yeah, that's a very good line. I, uh, I was also a big fan of, uh, you can never undo what I've accomplished. The dead are still dead. I, 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 I want to, a- I want to talk about that actually, because I, that, sorry, go ahead, Clay, before I interrupt you. Well, I was just going to say, it's like, in and of itself, it's not a spectacular line, but it's just in the context that it's given. I thought it was was really good. I thought it was really effective. I, I, I think he's even he's even sort of talking like the the tragedy of that line ties into my apology thing. It's like that's my point about the apology is like, what do you think you're going to get out of this? Everything right. I've, I've destroyed you already, like nothing you can do to me. He's, he has the line like torture me, execute me, whatever. I've already. I, well, he has some line of. Uh, while you did this, I've been executing Bajorans by the thousands or whatever his line is about that. But it's like the the he's even sort of talking to himself like he knows that what he's oh, trying, yeah, what definitely. he's trying to do doesn't really accomplish anything. And that's why the early Maritza scenes to me are so beautiful, because the actor plays both of those sides so well, like he the lines, just the scripting and the way that he's performed, he's walking both sides of that tightrope and he never falls off he does really really good work at sort of conveying the fact that maritza knows how pathetic he is and he's still angry at himself for what they've done and he knows that kira can't be healed by what he's done or the bajorans can't really be healed and this is his this is the best that he can possibly do and it's not really all that good or anything well, he's also using that as a go to her to make to try and make it yes to like, make it personal. I, and I, lo- I love the. I mean, it gets it's more flamboyant, but the the turn from like you know the the more the kind of chilling evil of there is no war, everything's fine. You're just making this up. To I'm just going to embrace it. It's it's like it's really effective. Yeah, I just yeah. I don't know. It's just it's sort of like how she's like because Kira. I, I feel like he comes up with this reproach that that Kira has no way to do. like. On the one hand, he's feeding her exactly what she imagined the worst Kardashians are like. But on the other hand, it's like, how do you deal with someone who acts like that, who is who is has no shame, who has who is who seems to have no shame? And it's just a, it's like it's a really it, it works for both. Um, we find out later what he the reason why he's doing it because he wants to be executed, he wants to be a symbol. But it all and but it also just works in terms of like like why it would throw Kira and why it's, it makes for a very it makes for a very compelling viewing in the moment, even before you know exactly what's driving him. And I you know I th- I think it it's also. Um... The apology thing and also what he's trying to do in this episode, I think a lot of that is born out of just needing, at the very least, the person to acknowledge what they've done and to figure out why. Um, Like, I I can see him 
the the way that the Cardassians seem to be working with the Federation, I could see someone in his situation being like, these people aren't even acknowledging the horrors that they that they that they perpetrated, and that's almost even more. That's like the most maddening thing. Yes, you know, yeah. and yeah. I, you know, I, early in my early in my art career, I ended up uh, dealing with someone who, uh, long story short faked a lot of correspondence between himself and a company for X, Y, and Z trying to get me on this project. And, you know, when I finally found out about it, I wasn't even like, I didn't even want an apology. I just wanted to know why he did it. And that was the most maddening thing. So, and I think that's why, why the apology thing is such a, uh, um, a big aspect of these, these things is because more than anything else, you want someone to acknowledge the fact that they did it. Just yeah. so, cause, so you don't feel crazy, which is why there are certain people in this country, possibly running this country, who have not done that, and it drives people fucking crazy. Sure, you know yeah, that's a, that's a good point. But you know that, that's 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 pretty much it. It's like it's it's a, I, I think I think I can see that mindset, um, being central to his his whole plan is that. The Card- no one is acknowledging knowing from the Cardassian side is acknowledging this even happened and he needs to do something to to not only to bring even if he can't do something to bring these people back or bring real justice he needs to at least feel like something is being done to acknowledge what's going on yeah it's more more a therapy session I suppose for everybody involved right like they they should just get the therapist chair in there and everything like that I, I, I'm not even you making could, fun you could but... argue yeah if you get into that though I mean you could argue that is what he's doing is it ultimately selfish yeah. Uh, yes, I think. So. Well, on some level, because I, I feel that he's benefiting. Like we we don't have a good enough sense of what Cardassia actually thinks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if yeah. if he's an outlier in their society, then it, what he's doing is selfish in a kind of weird roundabout way, even though he's doing the right thing. But I don't think we know enough about Cardassians at this point. We've met three of them. And one of them is bad. Two, one of them is sort of ambiguous. And then there's Maritza. I feel like it's like I, you could call it selfish to me. It's sort of like he's not. This isn't the right decision. But you can also completely understand how a person could be so broken that they would think this would be the, this is the only decision they can do. Like mm. it feels like it feels like calling it selfish is the same way you would call someone who is like severely depressed for an extended period of time and ultimately ends up killing themselves selfish. Whereas there's a definition where, but it's not so much the heavy connotation we usually apply to the word selfish, where it's like we sort of saying, well, yes, that is selfish in a way, but there are other factors into it that you have to take into account. You can't just view the action as something that's like motivated. It's not motivated by interest in itself. It seems more motivated by his just, he has been broken by his experiences. Um, Right. And and that's an important thing too, is the episode sort of gets into, and I'm not sure if the show really gets into this again, but the idea that Cardassians that the Cardassians could have been, some Cardassians could have been affected just as badly by what happened, or like not as badly, but could have been hurt, and that the, the Cardassian society was hurt, hurt in a different way, but just as a meaningful way in, as the Bajoran society was. Um, and obviously not to the same degree, and the Bajorans suffered worse because they were victims, but um, that sense of like this sort of damage and this sort of violence, it, it, it can break people, and it doesn't just, it's just not just one-sided. Well, we, we right. do know, we and, do know that the you know the it is in Canada at this point that the reason the Cardassians are doing this is because their people have suffered for so long. Like they the the, the military coup and the military 
has badly run the government, so they sold all the artifacts. They sort of ravaged the planet. That's why the Cardassians are so into invading other planets is because they've used up all their resources, basically. And so the, their poor treatment as people is kind of just passing the buck down the line to them. So you, they have suffered in some way. It's not justifying what they do because what they do is awful. But the, the Cardassian people are not... The Cardassian people have also been horribly misused by their military leaders, basically. And... um. Yeah, I, I don't think what he's doing is ultimately selfish in that he's not – I don't think he feels like what he's doing is absolving himself of anything. Um, and I think that ultimately would, would really decide whether or not his act is selfish or not. But he's he's not – feel. I, I don't think he's thinking that what he's doing is going to benefit himself at all um, as much as it is hopefully other people. So I guess – yeah, yes, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a weird – it's an interesting, interesting thing to to delve into. Yeah, it's no, like yeah. it's less selfish and more like it's a simplistic approach to a complicated problem. Um, <laughs> as well, simplistic as getting facial no, it sounds absurd, but it's also not. He's also not trying to like commit to any sort of political change or right, make himself right, part yeah, of a larger right, group. Yeah. He's literally just going, "Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this big sacrifice. It's going to be me. I got. I'm going to make a big action." It's almost like he because he failed so many times to take that action during the during the. Um, the occupation now he's right. decided that now is the time he's going to go step in and take make this big gesture yes 100 percent. Right, right. well i'm going to uh well we've been talking for about an hour so i'm going to take a quick break we're going to play an audio clip me zach and clay are going to come back and give final patron thoughts and then we're going to wrap it up if you felt that way about your filing clerks why did you take moritz's name my plan was to do nothing less than kill every pejoran in the camp and to this day, my one regret is that I was not able to accomplish this honorable goal. You're Maritza, aren't you? You mistake me for that bug. That we bring nothing. Oh, you stupid Pachoran girl, don't you know who I am? I'm your nemesis. I'm your nightmare. I'm the Butcher of Galatep. The Butcher of Galatep died six years ago. You're Eamon Maritza, his filing clerk. That's not true. I am alive. I will always be alive. It's Maritza who's dead. Maritza, who was good for nothing but cowering under his bunk and weeping like a woman, who every night covered his ears because he couldn't bear to hear the screaming for mercy of the Pajoras. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're back. We're done with duets. People have been anxiously waiting for duet. I've been anxiously waiting for duet. It's probably the season one episode of DS9 that I've watched more than once at this point. I am I'm really happy there was not an actual duet in this episode. <laughs> because judging by the title, I was like, 75% chance there's a singing sequence in this that involves two people it, having that, a duet. that hippie episode from TOS where a man loves another man. Children Shall Lead Them, I think it's... The, is that the one with the entertainment lawyer? I forget. Yeah, The Children Shall Lead Them or something. It's got yeah, no, Charles it's, uh, Napier in it. Is what that? the hell? It's... Uh, fuck, I can't... I don't think it's The Children Shall Lead. It's the... I can't remember. I'll look it up while you guys are talking about this. But let's... Uh, I'll read some patron thoughts. Uh, Holly McLaughlin writes Duet, the first classic DS9 episode It always makes me cry In the scene where the Cardassians speech about how the Empire had to invade Bajor Because they needed the resources Ouch, it hits very close to home That Agreed, right? Uh, Holly, we, we frequently disagree, Holly But I agree with you 100% on that one <laughs> Or I disagree with you, usually 
Nick yeah. Sergi, Nick Sergi writes, Duet is a masterpiece. I can't remember a multifaceted Trek story in a story where someone changes the way Kira does at the end of the episode. Harris Ulan is one of the best Trek guest stars and the story is so probing, never really hitting any false notes. Uh, Matt Ross writes, In Duet, it always surprised me when it originally came out. A kind of double fakery, but unfortunately, I think this ended in a cliche. Oh, we can do better. I think that was the first season of DS9, like all first seasons. You have to have that establishing story. And I think for the most part, it does give the right tone to the Bajorans and the Cardassians. Since, uh, since Trek always tries to make Star Trek in real, about real life issues, would you say that this is the after effects of the British Empire in India or any numerous Middle Eastern company, countries or Jews in the apologetic Germany? It, it's uh, it's yes. obviously it's obviously a, yeah I mean it, I I feel it's broad enough to be anything it feels yeah it's it's pretty much anything yeah. it's Germany and the Jews basically is the most obvious I don't know if that's just because that's the one that's always the prominent list of it mm-hmm. you know the the Chinese suffered horribly at the hands of the Japanese and everything like that so I don't I mean unfortunately this scenario happens enough throughout history that you could point it at really anything yeah from <laughs> Yeah, I, I I know, unfortunately, but it's 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 a universal thing. Uh, they're not going for anything specific. It's just in my mind, it always reminds me of uh, World War Two Germany. Uh, Clever orbits, right? Yep, duet was exquisite. I love the depth to the Cardassian character. And finally, Kyle Barrett writes duet from Blade Runner style image enhancing. We didn't even mention the image enhancing. Oh, that, <laughs> yeah, that was that's cheating on a scale that I have not yeah. seen in a while. It's it's a problem you bring up in bad episodes. If this was a bad episode, it would be the only thing we'd talk about for forty five minutes. We'd be like, I can't believe they used image enhancing like that. But it, you kind of give it a pass in episodes like this. There's, I I just wish at one point they would do something ridiculous like that, and then one of the characters would be like, huh. How does that work? That's not you can't do that. Or, yeah, or they, the character looks nothing they, like it. They invalidates like thousands of court cases because this one person <laughs> is like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. How does that work? And you find out there's like a computer program that somebody wrote like fifty years ago that they've been using and has something mm-hmm. that, that like basically this person had a grudge against a certain facial type. <laughs> like the the implications of what that needs to happen in order for that process to play out the way it does is like so does that mean there's like somewhere a a 360 degree camera picture of that place and if so why did they do that Wait, you know what, or, or is it all or is it all com, com, uh, created after the, is it all based on like an algorithm or what's I mean, funny to I, these me are is the real the... questions at stake in this episode is how does this technology work <laughs> what's funny to me is the clash of technology right they have this real blade runner like we're going to get an image from absolutely no information to make it and then when Dax is looking at it, she goes Oh, according to the caption, he's the guy on the left. So apparently yeah. there's a caption underneath <laughs> yeah. the picture, yeah. but they're still able yeah. to do this incredible technology. Uh, Kyle continues, uh, one of the best guest star performances in Trek by Harris Eulen duet just works. I think I'm pronouncing his name right, Eulen. The problem is that I've uh, plagued season one of DS9 giveaway to an hour of tightly plotted television that works every time I sit down to watch it. It's an early peek at the types of stories that DS9 can accomplish, transcending the TNG knockoff episodes that have preceded it. Could you... Just imagine that first description that that uh, Harris Eulen gives about his interpretation of what was going on. You know that that like casual way that he like just rattles off what his point of view was about what was going on on, on in the camp. Could you imagine like ninety percent of other Star Trek guest actors reading that off? It would have been it, so it would have been hammy. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it would, and just the way. I mean, there's something so chilling about the way that he just casually talks about it as though it's just you know that's just how it was that's yeah that just was when he's e- when he's was. eating that thing and he's looking up yeah. just saying i doubt that very much like it, there's 
just good actors are able to uh, great actors are able to convey two emotions at once right that's the kind of the thing that yeah. good actors can do is they can <laughs> they can play a scene one way and mean something else and that's like a definition of a good actor i guess um but yeah let's give our final thoughts i'm going to give it a uh, we rate it on a scale of one to five duet gets a five for me it might not be one of the best episodes of ds9 but i think it's it always works for me i don't i don't really have any problems i might have had some nitpicks or whatever but it's a really emotionally affecting episode. I think it's important for the series at this point because we were we were swimming in garbage up until this point. And it's the show settling in on this is an important setting that we have. The character interactions are important. We need to exploit the fact that we have a situation like this in this series. This isn't TNG. This isn't TOS. We can build something off of what we've got here. And things start to change for the better in my case. But what do you guys think? You can start with you, uh, Clay. Yeah, I would agree. This is the best episode of Star Trek I've watched in a long time across any series. <laughs> even Discovery, Clay. Even Discovery. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say yes. Yeah. Even the um, even the ripoff cause and effect episode of Discovery, you like that? Yeah, this is better than that by by a mile. <laughs> um, it's just it's so fast. This show is so fascinating to me for for. Exactly what you're talking about, how it's the first time that they've really taken advantage of the situation they presented. It's like, imagine imagine Game of Thrones, right, where you have the first episode of Game of Thrones that lays out all of these different kingdoms and all of these different uh, ways people connect and all that kind of stuff. And then the next, like, 18 episodes are just bullshit you know, quirky things that are happening at King's Landing or something. You know, yep. it's like, wh- why even bother giving us that awesome intro if you're not going to ex- exploit it? And so it's nice to see that they're finally getting into, um, the, you know, the, the interesting stuff that they laid out at the beginning. Honestly, I, I think that this is probably I, – I haven't watched any a lot of the other ones up to this point. I've been, you know, as I said, I've been off for a while. But this seems like the most – this seems more interesting to me now than it was when they established it in the first episode because i i didn't love the first episode i thought it was fine but like the situation and stuff didn't really grab me horribly and this episode has really kind of gotten me into the the whole the whole setup and the whole politics of everything yeah yeah zach what'd you think uh well what you guys said no it's it's great um it's um i actually hadn't watched uh, any since we watched the watched the pilot, I just watched this one. I haven't watched any of the previous episodes of the season, and it's really remarkable when you watch it outside of the context of the rest of the season how assured it is, and how much it could have belonged. I, it feels like it could have been snuck into one of the later seasons of the show because it feels like this is the fir- one of the first times that the series really establishes its own identity. That was something that, that Next Gen struggled with for a season or two, um, and it's something that Deep Space Nine has struggled with for the first season. It's, it's still trying to just riff off Next Generation when it actually needs to play to a whole different set of strengths, whereas Next Generation, the big appeal was, the big appeal was oh, we can fly around, it's like an anthology series, we go to all kinds of planets, um, and we have this great Shakespearean actor, and we can just do all this stuff. Um, and whereas Deep Space Nine, that the real the real value is the sense of history and place. Um, and I feel like this episode does a really good job of getting into the character's history, making that history really relevant to what's going on and making sure it never, it never gets, it takes a potentially um, absurd scenario, but all, but like it, by the point, by the time we get to the really, like the, the, the incredible plastic surgery, the perfect plastic surgery, by the time we get to that, it, I have like, I, we, it has been so carefully built to that point that, 
it works. Um, and I think it's it's not something I would have been completely completely confident that the show was capable of, of in earlier episodes. Um, yeah, and I also yeah. I also really appreciate while yes there is a technical subplot with uh, with Odo investigating everything the focus always feels like it's it is always on the Ritza and that is something that um, a lot of shows struggle with especially shows when they get more serialized is they don't understand the power that focus has and when you spend an entire episode on a single story um, even if that story sometimes goes off with different characters. It really has an impact when you get to when you can get to that point. You can really earn a very powerful ending, and I think this one, yeah, it still knocks my socks off. And I'm really, really, really glad I got a chance to rewatch it. Well, before we wrap up, Clay, I'd actually like to get your thoughts since you've you've only watched Discovery, Star Trek, until here. Uh, this one, uh-huh. did you did you notice anything? I, I talked about it in the podcast where I watched my first DS9 after Discovery wrapped up. Uh, did you have any feelings about going back to the older style of Trek? Did it like illuminate anything for you about Discovery, or did you did you feel I don't know like what did it make you think about it? I guess the d- distinction or the way that going back to the older series actually feels when you're watching it. Um, it kind of reminded me that, or it kind of illuminated that Discovery isn't really good at telling stories. Uh, this is. This is a well-told story. Um, they, t- you know, it's it's not any longer or any shorter than an episode of Discovery is, and they just take their time. They have a point they're trying to get to, and they just do it very well. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, o- overall, I don't know. I mean, it didn't. It didn't. I, I thought it was going to feel a little bit more jarring to go back. Uh, I thought it was going to feel a lot slower, um, and it does. It's definitely slower, but it doesn't feel slower to the point where I'm like uh, taken out of it, thinking yeah. about the difference in speed. Um, my my big takeaway was when I'm watching DS9 after Discovery, I go look at all these scenes of two people talking to each other. It's like yeah, it, this, it, this just doesn't happen in Discovery. It's so odd, and it's it's not that it's slower. It's that the scenes actually give me a time to realize what the hell these people are talking about on some mm-hmm. level. Like I'm like, oh, this is what this person feels like, and, and uh, also, uh, I've only watched. I don't remember how many episodes of Deep Space Nine I've watched. Maybe three, four. I can't remember how many th- I've done. Yeah, five, I think. Five? You're, you're okay. underestimating stuff. So I've watched five episodes of Deep Space Nine, and I've watched nine episodes of Discovery. After nine episodes of Discovery, I don't really care about most of the characters. I don't know what they do, and I don't understand their relationships with each other. Having only watched five episodes of Deep Space Nine, I pretty much understand how everybody connects, except for maybe the weird, the girl who who's a guy. Yeah, I don't really know what her purpose is yet. But Yeah, sometimes the every, writers like, don't know either. Yeah, <laughs> just based on this episode. I mean, you could watch this episode having not watched any other episodes of Deep Space Nine and get it. Yeah. And understand character relationships and all. You know, it, it's just a, I don't know. It's just, it's. Discovery is just really, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that show. Well, it'll it'll be back. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like Discovery just doesn't know how to, as you say, tell stories or build. Because the important part of a Trek show is the ensemble, and Discovery right. has yet to build the cohesive ensemble. It doesn't know who its vo- viewpoint character is because it keeps switching between Burnham and Lorca. It doesn't right. like we don't have a sense of the crew because the, the the character beyond them who's gotten the most screen time at this point is um, Tyler, 
and we barely know who he is, and he surely has some dark secret. And they they keep cutting away to Klingons for some reason. The show is just has no, it doesn't have a really a point of view, and it, all it has is a bunch of signifiers of oh, this is dark, as opposed to DSA Nine, which does get pretty dark, but it's very mm. it's very make it earns that darkness, and it's very nuanced. It has a very specific, like a very clear point of view and intention, and it builds these characters that you can care about. And I'm still I'm still very much struggling with discovery to care that much about anybody like you said no it's i i don't hate the show but i i feel like it's a show that has not found out what it is yet and i yeah, hope, it lis- hope it does soon <laughs> listening to harris yulin monologue about the what the cardassians did to the pejorans in that camp and like gleefully doing it is darker and more effective than any room of dismembered klingons they've shown oh, yeah. On, yeah. on discovery by far Yep, yep, 100%. I'm going to give this one a 5 out of 5. Zach, what are you going to give it? 5 out of 5. Clay? 1. Excellent. So we're moving on. <laughs> that'll, that'll, be the, that'll be the tagline for Twitter. And uh, <laughs> we are going to wrap it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Zach, Clay, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're back into it, Clay. We have a month before Discovery kicks up, so let's rev our engines and uh, finish up Deep Space Now. You have the next couple of DS9s, actually, because they're... Uh, important to the overall arc. In, instead of watching the rest of Discovery, what I'm going to do <clears throat> is I'm going to just watch Star Trek five six more times okay. and see see if you can tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> what was what would Clay need with a starship? Uh, we were going to... Yeah, if you're listening on YouTube, uh, you can race there, all that stuff. is Facebook, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Follow us there. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you go there, you can support the show. A couple dollars a month, you get extra podcasts. And we also just started up a new film podcast. It's called Real Ripe and Real Rotten. We do the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood actors and directors. We finished Patrick Stewart. We watched Logan. And then we watched Christmas Eve. Um, so you can check those movies out. Um, and Yeah, you could. You could, you, could, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Check one of them out and maybe not the other one. Just maybe. listen to the podcast for the other one. And then the high-tier yeah. Patreon supporters. Thank you very much, guys. Stephen Cobb, Ben Douglas, Tax Albert, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Vincent Adultman, Tarek Latif, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, and Magpie Nest Productions. Guys, thank you very much. You make the show possible. And that's about it. We have one more episode left in Season 1 of DS9, and then we're done. We're moving on to Season 2. So, guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you later. <laughs>